church. Well, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. It's hot outside. Everybody's like a little more alive this morning, a little more energy. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, hey, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and really glad, like Jamin said, uh, to gather with you all and, and sing with you and open God's Word and uh, look at what He has to say to us and take communion with you, participate in the sacraments. It's, it's a real joy uh, for me to be here with you all. Um, so every week what we do at Christ City is when we read God's Word, uh, we stand to honor the reading of God's Word. So if you will, I know you just sat down, but if you will, please, please stand and uh, let's read God's Word together. We have a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament this morning. Our text is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, and then we'll go into the New Testament and read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And there are Bibles at the end of most rows. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those, and you can even take it home with you as a gift. Let's read God's Word together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Let's pray together before we get going this morning. Lord, it's, it's true, and it's such a sweet and beautiful reality that you are here with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, that there is something sacred and significant about when your people gather together to worship you through song, sermon, and sacrament. And Lord, it's a, it's a joy and it's a privilege to meet with you this morning. And I pray that you would continue to be with us and challenge us and comfort us and change us as we examine what your word says to us. I pray that we would all encounter you this morning in your fullness and that we would not be able to leave unchanged. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you may not have thought this when you woke up this morning. It may not have been the first thought that popped into your head, but today is a very special day because today is Trinity Sunday when churches all around the world are beholding this majestic reality about the God that we love and worship, that he is three in one, that he's triune. And the Trinity is, is probably something that, that you don't think much about. Like, if we're honest, right? 
We just said together, and we've been saying together every week, words like, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Those are words we say, but if you pause and think about them, I believe in God the Father, Creator. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Like, if you pause to think about that, it's like, what do we do with that? It's, it's a little bit confusing, right? Three? There are three gods or one God? What's, what's going on with this? And it's something that for the first few hundred years of church history, there was a lot of talk, a lot of conversation around this idea of the Trinity. But it's not something that we talk much about these days. It's something that we neglect. I was, I was thinking about why that is. Maybe it's because we think... Like, they got it figured out back then, so there's not really much of a point for us to keep thinking about it today. Maybe we think, if you're honest, like, this is just really hard. Like, how can I wrap my mind around this? This is like, you know, in ninth grade when I encountered a very complex and difficult algebra problem. And if you're like me, you may not like algebra, right? Like, what do I do with this? I'm just not gonna, like, let's just move on to something that's a little more simple. Whatever our reason is for neglecting the Trinity, you have to admit that you do it. We neglect the Trinity. And I'm really convinced that it is really absolutely to our detriment. Look at this quote from a theologian named Kevin Van Hooser. There is nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with the evangelical church in North America that a good dose of Trinitarian theology if absorbed into the bloodstream of the body of Christ could not cure. Perhaps the main reason we neglect the Trinity is you don't see that this actually matters for you every day. Like the fact, this crazy complex reality that God is three in one really makes a difference tomorrow morning, on Monday morning, when you wake up and when you had to take the kids to school or your job or whatever you're doing, like this actually matters. There's nothing, there's no problem that we encounter that a good dose of Trinitarian theology absorbed into our bloodstream would not affect and help. So what's, what, what's our problem at Christ City Church? There may be different varying views on this, but maybe it's, maybe it's a lack of unity or a lack of care or a lack of passion or cynicism. Whatever it may be, perhaps a good dose of Trinitarian theology absorbed into our bloodstream would change us. What about you? What about you? Like, what's your problem? Lack of purpose? Cynicism, burnout, lack of zealousness, lack of passion. You, quite, you can't quite change, like you keep running back to the same old patterns that you promise yourself you're going to turn away from. You keep going back to the same person, the same thing, whatever it may be for you. What if there's nothing that a good dose of Trinitarian theology can't cure? Now, that may sound like sort of um, like preacher exaggeration, right? Like preacher hyperbole. Um, I don't think that's the case, but 
I'll let you be the judge. And I encourage you this morning, let's take a fresh look at the Trinity and see if you don't agree, like, man, this, this really does matter and make a bigger difference than I ever thought before. So where do we start? Where do we start? Well, we have to start by taking a listening posture. So um, a quick story. My wife and I, before we were married, uh, we spent three and a half years dating long distance. That was tough. Um, I was in college in Mississippi, and she was in college at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. So we were a little over eight hours apart. And we spent the first, the first three years of our dating relationship in that sort of long distance relationship. We met, there are a lot of SOS summer staff here, we met at working at SOS, and then we decided like, hey, let's, let's see if this thing can work, even though we we're 500 miles apart, like there's nothing wrong with that, let's go for it. Um, and so we spent, three mi- we spent three years dating long distance. There were a lot of really hard things about that. But I tell couples all the time, especially couples who are about to be long distance, there were actually some really sweet things about that as well. Because that's how we launched into, that's how we started our relationship. And unlike couples who were together in the same place, dating and getting to know one another, we couldn't do things like just watch a movie, you know, where we can focus our attention on something else and not have to talk to one another. Like there's no option for any of that. Time together for Laura and me meant talking on the phone. Like this was pre-FaceTime, Skype wasn't even a big deal yet. Um, And that was hard. There were a lot of sweet things to that though because like we spent a lot of time just listening to one another. Like just learning one another's story. Learning like here are the things that you like. Here are the things that you dislike. Here's things about you. And it's a basic rule of relationships, like to learn those things, to learn about a person, to learn what they like, what they dislike, um, who they are that you have to listen. You have to take a humble listening and learning posture. So let's do that in relationship with God this morning. Uh, Let's look at the texts that we read in Genesis 1 and John 1. In Genesis 1, uh, this beautiful creation narrative, this poem, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So immediately, we meet the main character of the story, we meet God, and we see that he was in the beginning, and he created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was, God was there. Try to imagine something that has no beginning. You can't do it. Everything that you can imagine in your head, no matter how creative you might be, has some sort of beginning. But we see in Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God. God was there. Before anything else was, God was there. God has existed from eternity past. Now I hope, my prayer for us this morning is that as we look at who God is, that it stirs your heart to worship and adoration and awe. And like if we're honest, like that already blows my mind. Right, like my mind, my heart is already led to adoration and all like, God, you are so amazing. Like I can't even fathom before anything else existed, you were there. Like you have no beginning and you have no end. 
you've existed from eternity past and you'll exist all the way into eternity future. Like, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around you, God. You are infinitely worthy of my worship. That's the like, first four words of the Bible. Come on, that's amazing. So let's keep going. And then in Genesis chapter one, verse two, we see that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was this sort of chaos. Yet the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we meet God and then we see a picture of his spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. Amazing, like things that were not previously there, God speaks and then they're there. That's amazing, what power, truly awesome, like in every sense of that word. And now think about John chapter one, where John in his gospel is recasting, retelling this creation narrative and we see some, uh, some new details about the God that we see in Genesis chapter one. In John chapter one, there's a parallel. John chapter one, one, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word, who a few verses later, John clearly identifies as Jesus. And so we see Jesus, the son of God, the one who was born as a human, similarly was in the beginning. And then in, in verse two, in case you misunderstood, John makes it even clearer for you. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus similarly, though he was born as a human in real space and time, Jesus has no beginning. In fact, try to wrap your mind around this. John says that Jesus was with God and that Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. We see God, the Father. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters and we see that Jesus was there. And then in verse three of John chapter one, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. All of God's creating activity that we see in Genesis chapter one, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. John tells us that all of that happened through Jesus. In Genesis chapter one and in John chapter one, we see this beautiful reality that God exists from eternity past relationally, lovingly as three persons. And that's how he exercises his power throughout scripture. Now the rest of scripture is consistent with this idea, though you might be surprised to hear this. Um, how many times do you think the word Trinity appears in all of the Bible? Zero. The word Trinity never appears in the Bible. There's no, uh, it's not recorded at least, any sort of passage or occurrence where Jesus was teaching and he's, he sits his disciples down and he's like, hey, let me just make this really clear for you, right? Like here are all the ins and outs. Like you've heard me make some claims that I'm God. Like here's exactly how all of that works. Let me piece that together for you. We don't have any, any record. We don't have any account of Jesus doing that. There's no record of 
Paul or any of the other apostles preaching a sermon or writing in a letter, like the Trinity. Let's make sense of all of this for you. Here's exactly how it works. Um, I heard a preacher say once that in the Bible, God doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but God tells us everything that we need to know. God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. God tells us everything we need to know. There are some cases, there are some verses in the Bible where it's really clear Like each person of the Trinity is mentioned together. Like, for example, a familiar passage in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, after he has died, after he has risen from the grave, but before he's ascended to be with the Father, um, he's spending 40 days with his closest followers and he's teaching them. And this is one thing he tells them that's uh, recorded for us. We know it as the Great Commission. He says that they're to go into all the world, baptizing and teaching people, baptizing them, listen to this, in Matthew 28, 19, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There are a few instances like this throughout Scripture, but in general, the word Trinity is never clearly mentioned or clearly explained. Instead, the way that we think about the Trinity was formulated over time as church leaders pieced together all these strands of Scripture. So there's this date I want you to remember. It's a date you may never have heard of before, May 20th, 325. The day before my birthday, except thousands of years before. Uh, May, 20, May 20th, 325. Does anybody remember that from like history class? Probably not. May 20th, 325, there had been a couple of hundred years of debate going on. Like we see these three persons, how do they relate to one another? Like, are they equal? Are they not equal? Is Jesus like created? Is he not created? What do we do with all this? So in 325, about 230 church leaders gathered in a city, an ancient city called Nicaea, which is in modern day Turkey. You may not like church history. Like I see some eyes glazing over. Um, Let me tell you why you should care. Um, Church history isn't just like antiquated, useless information and dates about the church. Like for us, if you're a Christian, this is family history, right? So for me, like I enjoy hearing stories about my grandparents and the things that they've done and them fighting in wars and all these different things. It's family history. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you're part of his church. And this this is family history for you. So this is really beautiful. In the year 325, all these different church leaders get together and they agree. They come to a consensus. They beautifully piece together all these different strands of scripture and put together what we call the Nicene Creed. Now the Nicene Creed as we know it wasn't actually completed until 381 at another council called the First Council of Constantinople. The Nicene Creed through the centuries has been affirmed and upheld across denominations, across different uh, strands of Christian thought. This has been affirmed as, yes, this really does seem to accurately and biblically portray what God is like as three persons. So today's Trinity Sunday, and churches all over the world are reading the Nicene Creed. So I'm actually going to read it to you, and it'll be on the screen, and as I read it to you, I want you to just let it wash over you. It's, it's beautifully written. It's also theologically rich. Like really, like stay dialed in 
and read it along with me. Like, let me read it to you. Listen closely. Follow along with me. Another side note. <laughs> Pause for just a minute. Um, I get so amped about, like, the church around the world, the church universal, and that we all, like, say these liturgical elements together. And here's the reason why. Like, it's Trinity Sunday. Churches all around the world will be reading this together. It's so beautiful. Um, a few years ago, I was uh, serving with a handful of friends in Kenya. And uh, on Sunday morning, we gathered with a local Anglican church for worship. And we got to the communion portion of the worship service, and the, um, one of the pastors gets up, and he says, the Lord be with you, and also with you. And he walked us through the communion liturgy, and it, like, it blew my mind, because I'm like, man, in a few hours, like my church home back in Memphis, Tennessee, literally around the world, they're going to be saying these exact same words together, right? So it's like this deep sense of unity, like this thing is bigger this thing is bigger than what we have going on right here, and it's beautiful and rich and amazing. I get amped about that. So let's, uh, let's look at the Nicene Creed together, beautifully tying together these strands of Scripture about who God is. I'm just going to read it for you. Follow along with me. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church or universal church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. I just put down the mic and walk out. That's, that's pretty amazing. Like three persons that we affirm, the Father, the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, who lived the life that you could not live, died the death that you should have died, rose again, ascended to be with his Father. Now he's ruling and reigning over all things, upholding the universe by the word of his power. And the Holy Spirit, who we worship, we glorify him, who's with us, who's present with us, day by day, minute by minute. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Let me say it for you. If you're more like 
Like, just give me a simple list, right? <laughs> give me a way that I can wrap my mind around this. There are a lot of failed analogies and metaphors to the Trinity, but I can give you seven simple statements that help us wrap our minds around what's going on with God as three in one. Let me just read these for you. I won't explain very much. Seven simple statements. And then if you're a visual learner, like if you're an artist, if you want to see it, uh, I actually have a picture for you too, right? Like engaging every learning style here. Um, First, God is one. God is one. There's only one God. We're monotheists. We worship one God. Two, the Father is God. The Father is fully God. Three, the Son is God. The Son is fully God. Four, the Holy Spirit is God, fully God, to be worshiped and adored and glorified. Number five, the Father is not the Son. Six, the Son is not the Spirit. Seven, the Spirit is not the Father. Amazing. There's unity, one God, and there's diversity. Here's a picture on the screen. Just leave the picture up so you guys can can look at it for a minute. Unity and diversity. Each of the three persons possesses fully the essence of God. Yet each of the three persons is distinct from one another. Each of the three persons is fully divine. Yet each of the three persons is unique in his roles and in his relationships with the other persons. That's amazing. And it's good for us to think deeply, like to look at the Trinity, to look at who God is. Ultimately, though, you'll never begin to wrap your mind around who God is. And that's okay. I said this a few weeks ago, that's actually a good thing. Because if there really is a God, like if there really is a creator, an eternal one who's existed from eternity past to eternity future, don't you expect that you, not to diminish you, no matter how brilliant you might be, don't you expect that you wouldn't be able to fully comprehend this being? And instead, don't you want, don't you want a God that you can worship for centuries, for eternity, and your worship will never grow dry or boring. Like this is the sort of God we encounter in Scripture. This is the three in one. This is the Trinity. He's a mystery to be adored and to be worshiped, but not to be fully comprehended. Ultimately this morning, my prayer and my hope and my desire for you all is not that you just like, that we think about some intellectual concepts though. Like I don't want just, I don't want this to be just like an academic lecture like one of my uh, seminary classes. This morning my hope and my prayer is that you're actually like swept up into the Trinity that you experience the Trinity and that you're changed by the Trinity and that you see that this really does matter for your life every day. Let me read to you a quote from a guy named Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz uh, is a guy who used to live on the streets of New York, 
um, involved in crimes and gangs and very distant from God until one day he heard a very simple truth. He heard this, that God loves you. God loves you. And he thought, like, that, that blows my mind. Like, that God would love me? And so then he, he became a Christian. He loves Jesus. And he's devoted his life to seeing renewal happen on those same streets of New York that he used to spend time in gangs and crime and all this. Let me read to you um, what Nikki Cruz says about the Trinity. Something has emerged in my walk with God that has become the most important element of my discipleship. It has become the thing that sustains me, that feeds me, that keeps me steady when I am shaky. Whoa, what is, what is this thing? This seems really important. I have come to see God, to know him, to relate to him as three in one. God is Trinity. God is Father, Savior, and Holy Spirit. God has given to me over the years a vision of himself as three in one, and the ability to relate to God in that way is the single most important fact of my Christian growth. The ability to relate to God in that way is the single most important fact of my Christian growth. For Nikki Cruz, the Trinity, God as three in one, is not just an academic or an intellectual concept. Like this is a reality that's sunk deep into his heart and soul and bones and it affects him every day. It's changed him. The most important fact of my Christian growth is this idea of Trinity, relating to God as three in one. So how does it change us? How does it shape us? For me, C.S. Lewis is really helpful here, um, as in a lot of places. And uh, C.S. Lewis has this, this beautiful idea about God as Trinity um, being this sort of divine dance. That God has existed from eternity past in relationship, in love, in community with the other persons of the Trinity. And there's this sort of divine dance that's existed and it will exist throughout all of eternity. And it's a divine dance that we can be swept up into. Let me read to you. This is a long quote. It's so good, though. Um, from C.S. Lewis. It'll be on the screen Part of it is, um, is in your bulletin, so you can, you can take it home and continue to think about it. This is from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, one of my favorite books called um, Mere Christianity. This is what he says. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us, or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. Listen to this. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prizes which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. 
if you are close to it, the spray will get you wet. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? If you want happiness, if you want joy, if you want the love that you were created to crave, then the only way that you can experience it to its fullest is to be swept up into the source of love and community and joy and happiness. Think about this. Everyone loves the idea that God is love, right? But if God isn't triune, then how could he possibly be love? Like it makes sense now, like God has us to love, right? God has his creation to love. But what about before creation was here? What about before you were here? Like God being love only works if God's existed from eternity past in community, in relationship, where he can love the other members of the Trinity. And if you want to experience the sort of love that you're created to experience because you're created in the image of this God, like you crave being loved. You crave knowing community and knowing that you belong and that you matter. And the ultimate source for that is God himself, the Trinity being swept up into this eternal divine dance. So how? Um, I was talking this out with some staff this week and Catherine um, asked like, that sounds great. How, how do I do that? <laughs> Which is a great question. Um, when I think about dancing, if I'm honest with you, uh, I get really embarrassed because I'm a very bad dancer. Anybody else a bad dancer? Only good dancers in the room except for me and one brother over here. Um, so I'm not a very good dancer at all, but um, I often, not, not too often, but from time to time, I find myself in situations where dancing is happening. <laughs> Um, a party or a wedding reception. And uh, through getting to know my wife, um, those phone calls that we used to have as when we were dating long distance, I, I've learned that she, unlike me, is really good at dancing and she loves to dance. And so whenever I find myself in one of those situations, a wedding reception, whatever it might be, um, like I give it my best shot. Like I just, I go for it. And most of the time, um, I'm really embarrassed, and I'm not enjoying myself. I'm just, I'm trying really hard. I'm very aware of how um, goofy I look. I'm very aware of everything that's going on around me. I'm very aware of all the people in the room who I think are like super dialed in on me. But I know that's like, no one is watching me at all, but that's like, that's what I'm aware of. Like everybody's watching me, and I look really foolish right now. But there have been a few times a few times when I find myself in one of those situations when I think I've been okay at dancing and I've actually like really enjoyed dancing. And as I think about those times, what I recognize is like I was so dialed in, I was so oriented around my wife that everything else like just kind of faded into the background 
as the, as the hymn says that we're going to sing in a few minutes, everything else grew strangely dim. Like, and I found myself like just enjoying a party, just enjoying being with and, and dancing with my wife. And I think in some ways it's similar when we think about entering into being swept up into this, this divine dance. I think we need to learn how to so orient ourselves around God as three in one that everything else kind of fades into the background. Everything else grows strangely dim and we find ourselves swept up into this dance, like swept up into the movement and enjoying it, discovering that rich community and love and life that exists within God himself. Orient yourself around the Trinity and be moved to dance, the divine dance. And so, like the way my mind works is I'm super practical. And that sounds beautiful, but still, I'm like, well, what, like, what does that mean? Like, worrying myself around the Trinity in such a way that I'm moved and swept up into the divine dance. I have a lot of suggestions for you, but I'll close by giving you three. Um, because we're talking about the Trinity. Um, three suggestions to help you orient yourself around the Trinity, be moved, and be swept up into this divine dance where you can experience the life that you crave. First, really simply, show up uh, on Sunday mornings. Show up on Sunday mornings. Because the nature of our worship services are Trinitarian. The nature of our worship services is Trinitarian. Like what we do on a Sunday morning isn't haphazard. It's not something that we've just thrown together. In fact, the way that our Sunday morning is organized and orchestrated is the way that the church for centuries has organized and orchestrated worship gatherings. And it's Trinitarian in nature. And so as you show up to worship, you'll find yourself engaging with the Father and engaging with the Son and engaging with the Holy Spirit, engaging with God. So we gather every Sunday and we begin our service with a call to worship, with the worship leader reading a scripture from God's word where God the Father is inviting us in to worship him. God the Father takes the first step and invites you in to relationship and into worship of him. And then as we brush up against God, like our flaws rise to the surface, however may, that may look for you. Maybe it's just like, man, I'm really bored this morning and my mind is elsewhere and I'm not present or like I feel so much guilt and shame about what happened last night or this week. Whatever it may be, like the fact that you're human rises to the surface as you engage with this holy God. And so every week, it's not haphazard, every week we confess our sin. We confess that we're flawed people and we need Jesus. And then we receive an assurance. We look to Jesus together, the assurance of our salvation, the Son. 
And then we enjoy that, like we experience, like this is, I know some of you hate it, but this is such a high point of our worship service, like experiencing that in passing the peace that we have with God and that we have with one another through Jesus. And then we engage with God through his word, and then we come to the climax of our service, which is communion. A place where, like literally heaven meets earth. Like this is the place where you can encounter God. Like culturally we think, some of us think like the sermon is the highlight of the worship service or singing is the highlight of the worship service, but it's communion. Like this is the place where you come and ingest the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a place where you come and encounter God. And then the benediction happens every week where we raise our hands and receive a blessing as we're sent out into the world filled with the Holy Spirit. Like God himself is going into the world through you. That's pretty amazing. So come and engage with our worship services on Sunday mornings. The second thing is embrace diverse relationships. Embrace diverse relationships. I'm convinced and I'm really energized by the vision as I've been studying this week that as we grow as a Trinitarian church that we will grow as a diverse church. And that just like the Godhead, we will experience deep unity in the midst of diversity. So when I say embrace diverse relationships, here's one thing that I mean. I mean learn what it means to depend on someone who is not like you. Learn what it means to depend on someone who is not like you. Like you're trained not to depend on anyone but yourself. And if you, do, if you do depend on anyone but yourself, you depend on someone who's very like you, right? But there's this idea of interdependence. Like you're very different than I am, but what does it mean for me to learn from and to depend on you? Like I have needs that you can meet. Like if you're wealthy, what does it mean for you to depend on someone who is less wealthy than you are? If you're um, an artist, if you're very creative, like what does it mean for you to learn about creativity from someone who is less creative than you are? What does it mean for you to embrace diverse relationships through actually depending on people who are not like you are? As you do that, you will experience, you'll be swept up into this divine dance where there's unity in the midst of diversity. And then the last thing is, very simply but very profoundly, embrace the gospel, which is about God and it's Trinitarian. Embrace the gospel, which is Trinitarian. The gospel is good news for you and for the world that you have a father. You have a father who pursues you. Despite what your earthly father did or didn't do, there is a father who loves you and who pursues you. And he pursues you in the person of Jesus, his son. Through the work of Jesus, you can be invited into a relationship with your father as sons and daughters standing beside Jesus, our brother. Isn't that amazing? 
Like we have a father and we have an advocate, Jesus, our brother, who's advocating for us. Like you have love and affection and affirmation in the Trinity, in the Father and in the Son. And then, like that's preached to your heart. Like that moves you through the work of the Holy Spirit who is really, really with you. Like you experience that. You experience affirmation that you are a child, you are a son, you are a daughter, and you are loved by God the Father through the work of Jesus. You get that affirmation through the Holy Spirit ministering to your heart. Like embrace the Trinity and learn what it means to walk in that every day. Like, man, God, you're my father and your creator. That blows my mind and I worship you and thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus, my brother, who's advocating for me, who's interceding for me even now. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's present with me. Like I need... I need more of the Holy Spirit right now. I need Holy Spirit for you to minister to my heart and remind me that I'm a son of God. And God looks down at me and this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. My heart needs to remember that. As you practice these things, as you worship with one another in community on Sundays, as you embrace diverse relationships, as you live daily this kind of gospel good news, you'll be swept up into this divine dance. Here's how we're going to close this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to orient yourself around the Trinity, to experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the band is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song uh, where we're going to sing about the Father, we're going to sing about the Son, we're going to sing about the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to sing out because this God is worthy of our worship. This Trinity, this triune God is infinitely worthy of our awe and adoration and worship. And take whatever posture you need to like some of you need to take a posture of surrender and invitation. Like, Holy Spirit, I invite you to minister to me now. Some of you, many of you, need to take a posture of worship and adoration. And even if you're uncomfortable, raise your hand and sing out. So take these next few minutes before we come to the table and orient yourself around this Trinity. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are absolutely amazing, and we are in awe. We can't comprehend. We can't fully wrap our minds around. We worship you. We love you. And we invite you to take a step towards us to help us orient ourselves around you. And Lord, it's my prayer that we would be swept up that we would be swept up into this divine dance and that we would experience the joy and life and vitality and love and belonging that we all crave so much. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit, would you come and work in our midst in that way?